You're listening to Sports Content Strategy with Mr. Richard Clark. They have an incredible arena, a basketball arena, which we build a pool in with Mirtha Pools and a warm-up pool in the convention center next door. And we basically put on a 15,000-person sold-out every night, eight consecutive nights show to select our Olympic team. That is completely unique to the entire Olympic movement, specifically here in the United States. We're here for the athletes. We're a nonprofit. We're a national government body. If there are no athletes, then we don't exist. The safety of those athletes should be then the, that priority, right, before even competition in those things. We're really working every day down here on saving lives, and we're really working up here on making sure that our Olympic team is incredibly successful in Tokyo, and, and there's a lot in between. So again, the scope is, is, is bigger than I thought when I first came back. Hi there. The US swim team have one of the best records in sport. They've not lost an international meet in over 50 years. While this success may be formidable, it doesn't necessarily prepare a sport for the challenges of modern competition. That's why President Tim Hinchy is as interested in participation, content, communication, CRM and safe sport as much as he's interested in those all-important Olympic preparations. The commercial acumen he honed at Derby County, Charlotte Hornets, the Colorado Rapids are being put to good use even at a non-profit like USA Swimming. Hinchy is trying to build a modern sports organisation, one that cares for the grassroots as much as the elite. Please go to mrrichardclark.com if you'd like to contact me for consultancy needs, if you want anyone to moderate or talk at your conference, or you just want to say hi. You can also find Sports Content Strategy on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And I'm Mr. Richard Clark, Ian the End of Clark, on all social media. Anyway, let's dive in, boom, boom, with Tim and talk USA Swimming. Tim Hinchy, I'm the president and CEO of USA Swimming. Thanks for speaking to me, Tim. So just tell me the story of how you got to US Swimming, how long you've been there, and uh, what you've been trying to do in, uh, in, in your short time there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I got a call out of the blue a couple of years ago. I was uh, at that point uh, president of the Colorado Rapids in Major League Soccer, uh, and a recruiter called asking about any interest uh, in the potential position as CEO of USA Swimming. And I got to tell you that I was uh, certainly pleasantly surprised with the call, but I, w- I w- was just coming off a very successful stint in 2016 with the Rapids, very excited, had signed a new contract with the Rapids, really excited about the team of personnel and, and where we were going there. But I don't think the recruiter understood that I, and nor did they actually, that I was a swimmer growing up, that I swam at university, I coached at university, I continue to swim to this day as a master swimmer, avid master swimmer. So to get a call from you know, the sport that's enriched your life and to think about leading that organization on behalf of your country was something I, I couldn't say no to. So I was very fortunate that after jumping into the process of the search, less than a month later, I was appointed as CEO. So it was a, it was a pretty humbling and, and an exciting time for me to, and it was a tough time to leave the Rapids after such a, a fantastic stint with such great people over there. But um, first two years, just completed the first two years. It's been a, a interesting uh, organization to join. Uh, the national governing bodies and how that works with our Olympic movement in our country is very interesting. It's very political. Uh, you, you're not only taking care of the Olympic team and some of our best athletes in the world, but you're also responsible for really part of the grassroots of the sport. So we have over 400,000 members across the country. So it's a large organization. So for that, you're thinking about programming that takes care of coaches, that takes care of volunteers, that takes care of our, our athletes, obviously our 355,000 athletes that are members. 
How do we grow the sport? How do we compete against other youth-serving sports organizations? So it's very new to me in that respect, but um, it's been it's been something I've really enjoyed. Again, to reconnect with the sport that's given given me so much is great. We also have our challenges. I've inherited some challenges, obviously, with the Larry Nasser scandal that came out. Uh, swimming had some significant challenges back in 2010. Uh, but it was the first NGB to really formalize a, uh, a national safe sport uh, program unit, uh, which has been very good for us. Uh, having said that, we got dragged right back into kind of the headlines. So that was a challenging time for me to come into an organization that I'm really excited about. And then within six months, you know, testifying in front of Congress was certainly something I wasn't expecting to do. Having said that, um, you know, I, I think we uh, we went up there and raised our hand and said that, uh, A, we apologize for any abuse that's ever occurred. B, that we can do more and we will do more, and this will be a priority for us as we continue to kind of grow our organization. And I think everyone uh, believes that. That's what's most important. So our membership has supported that, and therefore we've been able to continue to focus that as a priority, but at the same time, not diminish our needs to kind of grow the sport, find ways to make sure our top athletes are still competitive around the world, et cetera. So lots of challenges, but uh, but lots of highlights as well. And uh, I can't believe it's already been two years and we're entering 2020, which is an Olympic year. So that'll be new for me as well. So what did you take from the Rapids, obviously where you were my my boss, into a very different environment? Because the, the Rapids, it was a it was a challenge to get promotion and PR within the town of Denver. But um, I think you've said you've, you've got a Super Bowl every four years with uh, with U.S. swimming, albeit just one every four years but it is a very very big one the biggest sporting show, show in the world well no, I, th I think the first one was really going back to when i first got to colorado back in late 2010 early 2011 and i think this is true and i think most executives will say this it's really about people uh and knowing that you, you need to surround yourself with the best possible smartest people that are committed to your cause and committed to the cause and the priorities of the organization and, and that always takes a little bit of time and at the rapids we're very fortunate that the uh, the ownership group and the management team at Kroenke allowed us and allowed me to go out and recruit people, yourself included, that were subject matter experts in their fields, that had great passion for our sport, that wanted to be part of a movement, that wanted to find a team that was maybe viewed as a underachieving, especially on a revenue business side type of organization, maybe even viewed as a minor league sport in a major league town and bringing the kind of talent that said, no, we're a major league product in a major league town and we want to compete at the highest levels. It's swimming. It's the same thing. I walked into an organization that, again, has been world class since 1956. So it's, a, it's it was a bit intimidating, right? We haven't lost an international competition in 63 years. So the focus has been okay. The athletes and the coaches have done that. What else can we do to support the rest of our membership? How do we get this organization within the four walls of our headquarters be world class? So really, that's and I think that's true anywhere you go to any organization. It's about having the best possible, smartest people and letting them to do their job. So we've turned over our executive team. We've recruited some terrific talent. We have what I call the strategy team of eight executives, four women, four men, which in and of itself is very different from a from that perspective, which is very, very healthy from 31 to 51 versus kind of an older set that was been here for a long time. And they did great things. And it's it's not about criticizing the past. It's about taking it to the next step. And succession planning was a key point for me is to bring people in there ready to take swimming to the next level, but focus on the things outside of the pool. You know, how do we continue to be world class? Because that only make those athletes and those coaches more successful. And that's very different. It's also very different going from Denver and Colorado as, as our key focus with the Rapids to 
a global entity. You know, certainly we're a domestic entity, and I'd like to think we're one of the best in class nationally governed bodies. But we have aspirations to live up to our reputation globally. So it's a new challenge. It is a new challenge, but it's a it's a challenge that I've seen in many organisations in in England. We'd say that the people who worked at a governing body for a sport, an Olympic sport, might be we'd call them blazers. They'd be old style blazers, and you, having worked in right. the UK with Derby, would know what that means. But it it really is a challenge of modernisation in sports. Olympic sports that have great histories, great success, but you, you've got to try and turn them around and face them towards the future, right? It's a challenge everywhere. I agree. And I think for us, one of the, you asked about other opportunities or challenges, one of the unique challenges is that we have this incredible base of athletes. Like I mentioned, we have 355,000 athletes that are members, another 50,000 non-athlete members, which would be coaches, officials, volunteers. So that, that, that's our audience because they sign up to be our membership. But ironically, as we talk about having to grow the sport, grow the ent- entity, communications to those is typically just around the sport, right? It's very technical. We're missing a massive gap, which is our parents, right? And you're, you're a swim parent. I'm a swim parent now. You know, how, how are we being communicated to based on the sport that my kids are playing? And what we've realized is that we really have no direct communication to the parents, which just means that if we have some important initiatives, could be safe sport with some guidelines, how are we communicating directly so they know that's our priority at USA Swimming, right? If we want to market, if we want to retail, if we want to grow our partnership portfolio, well, that's the audience we need to connect with. So we learned over the last year that that's something we need to invest in. So for the first time ever, and it may sound funny coming from a top NGB, but we've had to invest in a proper CRM platform. We have a great warehouse. Again, we have all this information, all these people, but we don't have is that two-way communication opportunity, which CRM will provide. So now that we have a major initiative, a major announcement, or we want to market and retail to our to our best customers, people that already love swimming, we can't even do that. So we're about to launch that. And that's one of the big initiatives we've, we went after here in the first two years. And what's the content strategy that will support that? Because you need one, of course. Uh, absolutely. Well, luckily, we have some really smart people like yourself that's come in and consulted with our group to tell us <laughs> how to do some it. Some dates so, still available, Tim. Some, yeah, st- some dates so, still available. So that's, a, that's a good plug for Richard Clark. Um, <laughs> but no, we'll take some of the suggestions you gave us as you did come in that, uh, last year. And we and first, again, it's about putting the right people in place, right? And so we've just hired our new chief commercial officer, uh, Shana Ferguson. Uh, she swam at the Naval Academy. She was an officer in the Marine Corps for five years. And then she worked at Under Armour for 11 years in, in multiple countries. So to bring someone with that kind of brand experience and brand profile, even on the retail level, it gives us, I think, a leg up to understand how we should present ourselves and communicate to our base. Bell McLemore, who you know very well, our managing director of communications, who we recruited from UFC, she's, she gets it. She understands it. And then we just promoted Jake Rusher to director of business intelligence. And again, as you know, from your seat, BI that's part, that's what's going to drive the content strategy for us is data analytics, understanding where we need to go, how we need to go, and how do we position that content. So we're working on that. We also have an exceptional social media person in Karen Rainey. So I really feel like, and again, this is only in the last less than 12 months. So we went out, got the right people, have the right people. Now it's about that content strategy going forward. 2020, it's all about the Olympic year, right? And for us, you talk about the Super Bowl that's Tokyo, but our Super Bowl is really Omaha and the United States Swimming Olympic Trials, right? We go we go to Omaha, Nebraska, which many people on your podcast may not know where that is, but it's a lovely Midwestern city, uh, a lot of good steak out there, and but it's not a major market. But they have an incredible arena, basketball arena, which we build a pool in with Mirtha Pools, 
and a warm-up pool in the convention center next door. And we basically put on a 15,000-person sold-out every night, eight consecutive nights show to select our Olympic team. That is completely unique to the entire Olympic movement, specifically here in the United States. So really for us, that's what we control. We don't control Tokyo. We're guests. You know, we go and we compete and do those things. And it's great to interact with partners and, and so forth. But that's the USOPC. This is our Super Bowl every four years. So we're getting prepared for that. So from a content strategy perspective this year, it's about getting people excited about what we call the fourth year of the quad, the Olympic year. This is the year we need to maximize that strategy, maximize those touch points, and making sure that this is the year we get a lift in swimming participation. So unlike years before where we'd see the lift, but we wouldn't necessarily connect with those people, now we'll have a mechanism and a supporting CRM that allows us to collect data, identify who's watching, tuning in, and message them and invite them to be part of USA Swimming. We've never been able to do that before. So our strategy this year is really going to be about two-way communication and finding ways to capture those interested and invite them into our family and our community. And am I right in thinking that with your major events, I'm not sure you're doing in Omaha, but, but do tell me if you are, you're already changed your commercialization strategy, uh, putting in premium hospitality, activating your sponsors a little bit better. Uh, just tell me what you've done there. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, Mike Unger, who's our chief operating officer here, has been with USA Swimming for 26 years, and he, he oversees the Olympic trials, and he has done incredibly successful work over the last four that have been in Omaha. This will be the fourth so 16 years, basically, in Omaha. So, again, it's a traditional basketball facility. So there are luxury suites and boxes and premium seats. So they've done some of that. But from to your point, from an activation level, we know we're going to sell out. In fact, tickets went on sale this summer a year in advance, and we only have we have less than 1,000 left for every night right now. So it's just been an amazing circumstance. So, again, so how do we take it to the next level? Well, again, going back to kind of professional sports here in the U.S., and you'll remember from your Pepsi Center days when you were here in Denver – you know, building the Lexus Club underneath and having kind of those bunker suites and finding areas of the arena that were storage units that you turn into these kind of hospitality areas where you can build live content. So for us, similar in this arena in Omaha, which they've never done before, you have the college basketball locker rooms and some new facilities. Well, we're going to turn those into kind of a bunker suite hospitality where you can come early. You've already bought your seats, but your group can come in, have food and beverage and hospitality underneath the facility. We'll grab one of our Olympian alumni. They'll come welcome you, kind of give you that chalk talk type of experience, and then walk you onto the pool deck during warm-ups so you can see the athletes for, you know, getting ready for their, their, their Olympic dream you know, five feet from the water. And then go back down. So these are things they've never done. So that's one strategy we're going to employ because we're already sold out. So we need to maximize the next level. So finding premium hospitality, to your point, will be the way that we can do that. The second thing we've done, and they've done this previously, is they've built a massive activation area called the AquaZone. So it's your kind of carnival, festival-like place that you can be out outside the arena all day long, interacting and activating with all of our sponsors, uh, have meet Olympians, autograph sessions. You know, we have some of our live content going on, Deck Pass Lives out there, but that's a tremendous village. And then now afterwards, downtown, right across the street from the arena is a Marriott. Marriott's our official partner. And behind them, they built the Capital District, which if you remember at Sporting Kansas City, they had the Power and Light District where they could host events. So retail across the bottom, a music stage. We'll build USA Swimming House, which will be our hospitality feature. And so now we have a strategy to activate sun up to sundown. So 
get to the facility in the morning, watch your prelim sessions in the morning, go out to the aqua zone during the afternoon, have a great time, food and beverage, you know, different interactive kind of uh, opportunities, come back for finals right after. And then now after the finals, go out to the capital district and hear some live music and maybe see some award ceremonies. So really we're trying to build a kind of a sun up to sundown activation plan for all eight days that we're there. So it's pretty robust and, and the staff's done a great job on it. One thing I, learned from my time in America is the concept of making a sporting fixture, a sporting game, a match, a meet or whatever it is, an event. Now you worked at Derby uh, a few years ago before you went to the Rapids in 2010. Do you understand why the, the UK fan has been resistant to that in the past? Did you try that sort of thing at Derby? Did it work? Did it not work? And, and how do you see it now? Because if anything, I see the UK crowd moving more towards the American style experience and wanting an event. Yeah, no, I, well, I, I think first and foremost, we learned, learned very quickly as an American consortium taking over a historic club. You know, the first question is, what are these Yanks all about? What are, what are we doing? What are we trying to do? So I think I think what we learned and I learned there that I still use today. I was actually talking about this at our annual convention last week in St. Louis, where I have to give a state of the sports speech to a thousand volunteers and coaches and what have you is like we need to listen. Right. We need to listen first before we just throw all of our ideas on the table or try to change something. And I think Darby taught me to go and engage with the supporters and listen to what's important to them and their priorities before we come in and try to redesign something or bring something American into the fold. And I think we did a good job along with Tom Glick, who then went on to Man City and now CEO of the Carolina Panthers. Like, you know, how do we listen? And, and again, year two there, my year two as the chief commercial person, I had to help plan the 125th anniversary for Darby County. That was incredibly intimidating. And we don't have sporting uh, clubs that are around for 125 years in the U.S. So it gave us a great opportunity to try to blend some of our, hopefully what some of our ideas on commercial activation and touch points and engagement with the history of, of the world sport, right, which was phenomenal. So I think it was a nice cross cross mix there. We didn't try to do a lot of major things other than try to expand better customer service and concessions, expanding concession opportunities, giving people a chance to get to the ground a bit earlier. But we also didn't want to try to force a tradition that's been, which might be, hey, I go to my local, I meet my mates, and then we walk over to the match. I mean, we don't need to interfere with that. So we had to be very careful in balancing is there an opportunity for someone that doesn't have that tradition, maybe newer fans, younger fans, with the traditions that have been so successful for our supporter base? And at Derby, we were so blessed to be at Pride Park, seats 33,000, and even in the championship, we're averaging 27,000. So, you know, we wanted to be very careful with altering, again, those tremendous traditions. So we tried to activate. We tried to do other events. You know, we certainly from our premium hospitality area, I think we focused – you know, on getting more people in and out of the boardroom and giving them some touch points that they never got to see behind the scenes before. But we really worked. We didn't do so much on the festival kind of pregame stuff because, again, we didn't want to interfere with those traditions. Has U.S. swimming always had a history of sold out events or near sold out events? Uh, I would say certainly from a trials perspective, absolutely. Uh, you can go back to you know their outdoor trials in Long Beach before Omaha and, other, and Indianapolis before that, uh, but those were smaller venues, and now they continue to grow. And so to be in a position where in Omaha you can literally build a pool, have the you know the all the digital uh, content, have the digital activation, fireworks, you name it. I mean, it's really a production that's worthy of uh, of people coming to see it. 
Uh, NBC covers it live in primetime all eight nights on television, national television on one of our big networks uh, here in the United States every night. So it's it's amazing. When you take that out and go down to, let's say, our Phillips 66 national championships every summer, one of our objectives is to been to trialize these events, right? So here we have, you know, Olympic trials are like amazing, top class event production. And then we have kind of our national championships for the spectator was kind of down here. So we've been investing in that. So in our first two years since I've been here, we've worked together to really elevate that, bring in premium hospitality, activate more, better digital content, better streaming opportunities, better fan experience, uh, you know, better retail experience, better food and beverage. And we had in the last two years, we've sold out every day of our, our national championships, both in Irvine, California at Stanford uh, this past summer. So it's starting. I think the expect, we've built an expectation that we are going to bring our national championships to that level. And I was in Atlanta yesterday as we are at, we have our Toyota U.S. Open uh, coming back as one of our major events. That moniker left for many, many years. It used to be a major event for us in the winter. I've brought that back. Toyota's partnering with us. It's going to be at Atlanta in the 1996 Olympic pool at Georgia Tech. And all day yesterday, we had a site visit talking about how do we activate within a current auditorium versus these stadiums. And again, we're going to try to push the envelope on activation, premium hospitality, and, and make this event that's fun. The story that I, I typically describe to people when I talk about swimming is that if I went to you know to someone in the U.S. and said, hey, I've got a couple tickets to cricket. Are you interested? They may be, uh, I'm not so sure. But if I said, oh, I've got a hospitality box. Would you like to come? They go, oh, I'll try that. So their inclination is I may not know that sport, but if I know I can go there that day, have, have a pint, have food and beverage, you know, have some special experiences, a VIP experience, I'm willing to go check that event out. And I think that's what we're trying to do with swimming in America. And sure enough, as people come in, they're like, hey, this is kind of fun. I'm like, exactly. You can still have fun at a major sporting event, even if it's an event that you don't know about. What's your television strategy? Because you've you've got um, not just the more national events, you've got the tier league that's televised as well, right? I think that's NBC two, correct, as, correct. Uh, and you've also got US Swimming TV, your own production house. So how's that working? Well, we're very fortunate. Uh, I think as being one of the top class NGBs, we have our own uh, official relationship with uh, with NBC. So NBC Sports uh, and its family of networks have been an incredible partner to us, uh, whether it be on NBC Big Channel, whether it be on NBC Sports Network, which is what the Premier League is televised on in our country, as an example, every weekend, uh, to their Olympic Channel, which is dedicated to Olympic sports. Our major events, so call it Phillips 66 Nationals, Toyota US Open, the Tier Pro Series, as you mentioned, all those domestic events will be on their uh, networks, which is phenomenal for us. So it gives us... Again, to be a, it's like being associated with the BBC or, you know, ITV. It's it's a it's a significant channel for us to have an exclusive relationship as an NGB. Beyond that, though, we know there's a lot of content to talk about, and if we're going to engage our membership or our potential customer base or fan base, digital live streaming is is huge for us. So we've been working really hard at putting together a nice production. We call it Deck Pass Live. So it's kind of a lead-in opportunity to lead-in, lead-out, shoulder type of you know live streaming. So we'll have former Olympians, alumni of the national team, engaging conversations, interviews that we can lead on Facebook or lead right into our, our television, helps grow that audience. And then we try to grab them afterwards to come back to that live content show, interactive show right afterwards. So streaming has been big for us. We put that on our website. All of our fans can watch it all the time. So that's been a huge upside and something I think we can leverage better with our partners going forward. How important are your 
stars to the way you operate. Obviously, you've you've got these this uh, Super Bowl every four years of the Olympics, and that's when your stars are going to be household names. But if the US is anything like the UK, those stars will dip well below the sort of front and centre. Uh, in the in-between time so how important are those that those sort of half dozen top names in keeping you relevant and how do you use them it's a great question um they are they need to be relevant right all the time i think you know a couple things number one you know swimming you know the swimming fans are incredibly loyal because swimming is not the most popular individual stroke you know team sport right so you, you know who those stars are and we're blessed that we're coming out of a you know an era that michael phelps you know lifted our sport to the pinnacle, right? So now we're in the ball game. So I, I have to thank Michael Phelps for the relationships we probably have with sponsors in NBC because he made so many, he took swimming to a whole nother level. He was transformational as an Olympian, right? And, and as a swimmer. So that, so we owe him a, gra- a, a whole huge debt of gratitude, but we're also blessed that our sport continues. To, I mean, because of the coaches, uh, our network of coaches and our network of clubs. So when I talk about that membership of 4,000, that's 3,000 member clubs across our country, 19,000 coaches that are developing this incredible pipeline of talent. So case in point, world championships in our odd years, so it's 17 and 19 this quad, right? Budapest and just getting back from Guangzhou, South Korea this summer, stars stars arise. Caleb Dressel, although he had a gold on on relay and and did well uh, in the butterfly back in 2016 as a young man, he owned the world championships in Budapest and put his stamp as the next great American sprinter star for our country. At the same time, 2019, Reagan Smith, 17 years old, 200 backstroker, breaks Missy Franklin, Franklin's world record from London, right? So we, we have this tremendous, you know, we're so blessed to have this pipeline that continues to come. So then it goes back to our NBC relationship, our digital content to make sure that we're capturing those one-on-one moments, we're capturing content, we're introducing them to our fan base, really our membership. And we're lucky that World Championships is on every year or the Pan Pacific Championships, that network of other meets I talked about, and making sure that they're part of those meets, they're being showcased in the content, that we're giving them their storylines behind the scenes, Lily King, Simone Manuel, Katie Ledecky, Ryan Murphy. So again, we have household names that we're very fortunate that NBC grabs our digital content, you know, puts in front of our membership base. And then again, the pipeline continues to come, knock on wood, and it will continue to invest in a product that has an infrastructure to support that pipeline. And your athletes, are you bringing them into that? I mean, they're part of your universe, certainly your social media universe. You need to use them in a positive way. And yet again, you've got those sort of, I don't know, top half dozen, top 10, whatever it is they'll be it'll be easy for them to get sponsorships but there'll be a whole raft of athletes just below them that will need social media to go and get sponsorships and and because that's what the brands are currently looking for so you're working with them you're helping them out you're working together well i think it's interesting because professional swimming uh there's a new professional swim league called the isl that's really kicking off in a couple weeks here in the united states they have a major meet that i think is getting a lot of attention in london as well so this is new. I mean, the Olympics was always an amateur-esque type of endeavor, right? And yet in the last several years, and again, coming back to Michael Phelps, you know, these kind of athletes have shown that, hey, wait, wait, we can generate interest through major brands and major partners and those type of opportunities. And when you look at, 
Caleb and Simone, as an example, Caleb Dressel, Simone Manuel, they're both Toyota athletes. They're Coke athletes. Simone's a Nike athlete. I mean, they're, they're, they're leveraging some significant brands that are investing in who they are as world-class athletes and who they are as swimmers, right? So that's, that's somewhat new, right? So we are working hand-in-hand -hand with our athletes, uh, with their coaches. In some cases, their agents. They all have agents now, which is new to USA Swimming, right? We're, we're doing different things to try to work together to try to elevate the sport. And I think what we, what we need to be careful about is that there are so many different competitions globally in our sport. How do we get them all? How do we get as many athletes as possible to the same events? So if we get the same events, we can truly amplify how important swimming is and thereby creating more opportunities for partners and sponsors to see these world-class athletes on television or on digital to invest, to invest in them and to invest in sport. Because if I can get our athletes to be invested in by Bridgestone and, and Nike and Toyota and Comcast Xfinity, that's only going to help us, right? It's only going to help USA Swimming, A, for us to derive our own relationship with them, but to show people that the longer you swim, the chance you have to do more. You can be a professional. So that extends some of these athletes' careers, whereas before I was an amateur, Olympics was it. And then I may be done. Now we have athletes we're working with to try to help make sure that they're successful, still as part of our national team, help us grow our sport and our brand while they try to continue to keep their careers alive. So it's, we're in the midst of a, a complete change, I think, in where our sport has been and where it's going. A lot of athletes around Olympics time are very vocal about the restrictions that the Olympics puts on them commercializing themselves there's very strict rules about what you can and can't do you can't use the olympics you can't use this phrase that phrase do you understand that frustration do you see any any more movement any more uh liberalism around that coming in the future i, I think there's certainly been some discussions at the highest level of, of the ioc and fina to talk about ways they help uh athletes especially in sports like ours uh, monetize their ability based on what they achieve for their country at these games. I think we're very fortunate from a USA Swimming perspective because we allow our athletes, even at the Olympics, uh, they can wear their own cap, their own goggles, their own suit, and that does not have to be the same as our official team partner, which is Arena. So they need to wear their Arena track suit and their Arena dryland gear and such when they're representing us, right, in and around major games and major competitions. But when they physically get on the on the into the pool or on the blocks. That, you know, they have our you know, United States flag, but they could be wearing their, their tiered cap, their Speedo goggles, and their Mizuno suit. They can do that. So our athletes can do their own thing, which I think is very useful to them, which is great. And then it gets even more complicated at the Olympics because all week they'll be wearing their arena kit with us. And then when they have to walk on the podium, they have to wear Nike tracksuits to get their medals. So, you know, it's still very complicated, um, but I think it's getting better. I really do believe that. And I think we at USA Swimming hopefully do a much better job than some of our other uh, colleagues and allowing our athletes to kind of get a chance to earn their own their own deals. You talked at the start of the interview about safe sport and you talked about the uh, scandal in uh, in US gymnastics. Um, that I remember you talking to me when I was over there in the summer about your work with the Senate and you had to answer questions from the Senate. I mean, how how much of your time has this taken up, this issue? It's a cr crucially important issue um, and it's a very hot topic, of course. It would seem to be something that you have to be absolutely buttoned up about given the recent history in US sport. Well, a question again. I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't anticipate this, but again, a lot of times it's a blessing in disguise because I think that 
you know, the credit to all the athletes and their bravery for speaking up in all the different sports, making this a priority again in all Olympic sports and hopefully all sports in general. As I said in front of Congress last year, that this will be our top priority. Protecting athletes will be our top priority. We apologize to any and all uh, victims of sexual uh, abuse and, and any other abuse that's taken place. And this is going to continue to be a top priority for USA Swimming. And, and, we, and to your point, we have to live it. We have to mean it. So we're very fortunate that even though the U.S. Center for Safe Sport was established July 1st of 2017, and they are exclusively responsible for the adjudication uh, for any of these complaints now, so we don't know about them until they come through the center, we still invest in our own team here on staff, which we still think is is the best in, in all of Olympic sport in the U.S., to continue to focus on this and to continue to make this a priority. So we're still going to invest uh, in, in safe sport people to make sure that people understand this is our top priority, right? Protecting, we're here for the athletes. We're a nonprofit. We're a national governing body. We're, if there are no athletes, then we don't exist. So that should be pretty logical. That should continue to be our priority. The safety of those athletes should be then the, that priority, right? Before even competition and those things. So sometimes it's, you, you find some struggles convincing some of the overall group that this is real because if they haven't touched it or felt it, then they're going to continue to focus on, you know, winning or whatever it is, which, I, you know, I get that. But ultimately, if we don't have if we don't educate people, you know, and make sure that we have the right coaches in place, that they're safe, that our parents are safe, any guardians, volunteers, staff, we all have to kind of embrace this together. So we've been asking people to join us in this priority. And I'm very fortunate that I think the majority of USA Swimming gets it and they're working hard to make sure they're part of that process because that's not going to go away and nor should it go away. This should be our, our priority and we're going to continue to stay with that. Because your job is so broad, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure you'll be judged on how many gold medals uh, you win next year at the Olympics, but there's a whole, there's hundreds of thousands of young swimmers that are your responsibility as well. It's, it's the breadth of this job that must be the excitement, but also the challenge, right? Yeah, you know, I, I think last week was a great example. We, you know, the United States Aquatic Sports, which is USA Swimming, USA Water Polo, uh, USA Synchro, USA Masters, and USA Diving, that is what makes up our relationship with FINA, right? So that's our IF in, in Luzon. So in that instance, there's 1,500 delegates show up to this event last year, and we're talking about volunteers taking their vacation time to come be part of this convention to be better to grow it to take care of people i mean it's it's pretty compelling right and i think that i probably didn't anticipate that either even coming up as a swimmer you know you go to your competitions you know you have a great relationship with your club or your coach but you don't see the volunteer side of this right so there's thousands of thousands of volunteers in our sport that make it so special so yeah, I, I had no idea, right? So making sure that I address their needs and I'm listening to that group was also something I've had to learn over the first two years. And I think this past convention was my third, even though I've been here two years. And I, I felt we have a, re, a lot of momentum coming out of this. We didn't get everything done we wanted to. We had some initiatives that were voted down. We have a House of Delegates that votes on legislation and changes and all volunteer-based. And when you step back, you realize that, hey, that may make it more challenging for us as a governing body to get something done. But if you step back, you respect kind of the democracy in it, right? And that we are a national governing body. And so it was, you know, it's a challenge, but it was good to see that the volunteers in the base have a real voice in what we do and what our priorities are. So it is, it's much broader than I ever anticipated. Uh, it's not just gold medals. It's not just 
saving lives because we want to invest hard because we're a sport that can save your life. So we have a whole nother initiative around our foundation about swim lessons and, and getting people safe around water. So yeah, the, 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 the top of the pyramid and the base of the pyramid from saving lives and build you know, and learn to swim lessons and summer rec programs to high school, to clubs, to national team, to or national junior team, to national team, Olympic team, this whole pyramid is massive. Um, but again, we have a great staff here, a lot of people dedicated to it. So it's a great challenge, but I wouldn't change it for anything right now. And the one thing I didn't realize really until I came over and consulted with you guys, having thought about it, swimming is in a, a unique place in terms of sport because the challenges for society as a whole are about mental well-being, physical well-being uh, and distraction and being present. Well, Swimming is the sport you can do from 8 to 80, or you can do from 8 months to 80. And, of course, you have to, you are in your own little world. You really almost can't converse with anybody. It's really hard to converse when you're swimming. You, you can't have an iPod when you run. You, 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 you can't have any distractions. It's, just, it's really got to be you in the pool. You're even half the time going to have earplugs. So you're going to be shutting yourself off. So it's, it's almost like a sport for the modern age to a certain extent. And that's what I was talking to you guys about. Do, do, do you get what I'm saying? It's, you've got, you can almost jump on a wave there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and again, you talk about it's a sport for life, right? And, and there'll be different levels when people get in and when they get out. And it's interesting because we, the pyramid that I kind of just described to you, master swimming is kind of the opposite, right? It's almost like the hourglass. As you're finishing, you might be finishing your career collegiately in that 18 to 22, and then they start their competitions at 19 plus. But then when you get out to my age group, everyone's founded again, right? And, and it could be for health reasons, family reasons, camaraderie, you know, competing, not competing, training, fitness, all those different things, right? And I, I do it to be with my master's team, and I do open water competitions because it's nice to actually get somewhere with your swimming, right? So you can actually swim from Lanai to Maui. I did the Maui Channel Relay a couple couple weeks ago. And you're doing it with people of, of like values, right? They want to be healthy. They want to be fit. They want to have a good time. It can take you to different destinations to swim different waterways. Um, there's just so many opportunities that I think it provides, to your point. It is I think it's a modern, it is a sport for the modern uh, age, but you can also get in for 20 minutes. You can go have a good time at your rec club. You can join a master's team. You can, or if you're a child, like my son swims summer rec only, and then they do soccer, football in the fall, which they're doing right now, then they'll come back to it in the winter. I mean, there's a lot of flexibility to it. And, we, and that's, those are some of the values that we need to do a better job of communicating, right? Like this is a sport for life. And then if you go all the way to the bottom, you know, in our country, 60, just over 60% of African Americans do not know how to swim. 50% of uh, Latino Americans do not know how to swim. Over 40% of Caucasian Americans do not know how to swim. Drowning is an epidemic in our country. It's the number one, uh, you know, unintentional cause of death for kids under five. And there's a cure, swim lessons. So even though that's not necessarily part of my remit every day, our foundation works hard with partners like Philip 66 to create our Make a Splash Tour and give grants to swim schools across the country to give free lessons for those that need it. So again, the, the, the top to bottom part of this is real. Like we're really working every day down here on saving lives and we're really working up here on making sure that our Olympic team is incredibly successful in Tokyo and, and there's a lot in between. So again, the scope is, is, is bigger than I thought when I first came back. Obviously, you're a non-profit. I, I have heard you talk about the, the cost of giving back as well, of course, because if you're going to do good work, if you're going to 
spread the reach of the sport, the grass reach, the grassroots of the sport. It's going to it's going to cost money. And you talked about on a podcast I heard recently in in 1984 the subscription was seventy dollars, and it's still seventy dollars. Or is is that right? So it's basically not was, moved. Basically not yeah. moved. No, and, that was one of the, so we 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 planned a move to kind of right side last week, and that got voted down. So oh. it shows you the power of our membership. Okay. Uh, they wanted us to go back to the drawing board and illustrate better what value we'll give back, which was totally fair. It was a great lesson for my staff that we need to go out and listen and understand how we, we put something like that on the floor of our House of Delegates. And again, that's where the process worked. But yeah, membership dues have been the same. Uh, individual dues have gone up to about $62 per member of USA Swimming. A lot of that is based on insurance that we provide for clubs and coaches and swimmers across the country. And the insurance market continues to change. But yeah, so that that was something that, aha, we realized that we hadn't changed club dues in, in more than 30 years. So that's an opportunity to Having said all that, and I think we'll get there hopefully for sure, but we have to be challenged, much like some of your earlier questions about what we're doing commercially. We can't rely on just our revenues on the backs of our members or our membership or our club members, right? That, that money, when it comes into a nonprofit, should go right back to the programming that supports the membership, right? So we get that. So for us, we need to work harder on our rights fees for our events, our television opportunities, commercializing our content and sponsorship portfolio. And again, CRM for the first time ever, if we can get this relationship with parents, we can create realistic marketing campaigns to invite people to join USA Swimming. One of the stats that, you know, it's not a real stat, but my stat I used when I was hired is that I love swimming. I'm a swimming fan. I've been swimming my since I was nine years old, so 40, you know, 41 years. And yet I've not once, not once ever received any kind of solicitation from USA Swimming. Not a, hey, join me, give to give back to our foundation. Would you like to buy a USA Swimming t-shirt? Would you like to be part of our publications? Zero. So there's a huge opportunity for us to go out, not just to, to in, further engage the parents and the families around swimming that I'm sure would love to do more things with us, but all the people that may have a connection and go, oh, you know, I'd love to give back. And that give back could be, hey, would you like to give 25 bucks to our foundation to help save lives and build champions? And get a T-shirt for it. Yeah, you know, I would do that. You know, who can't get behind those two messages if you're interested in, in aquatic sports? So, huge upside. But if we, I think if we can harness some of that uh, opportunity, it'll take less and less pressure as a nonprofit off our membership dues. And we'd love to make that as easy as possible for that group. And of course, you're a nonprofit, so everything you're making is being plowed back in. So it's it's yeah, and, and it's, it's it should financials. I'm not saying it shouldn't our- be as hard or a sell, but it it, it should be. It's not just pure capitalism. You're trying to do good here, right? You're a non-profit. Yeah, and our, and our financials are posted on our website every year, so it's we get to be transparent. I think there's few organizations – like I want us to embrace that. I'm not saying that we didn't before, but I can tell you, you know, going back to uh, you know all of the congressional stuff, there is no downside to being transparent as possible with our organization. So I'm challenging my colleagues and I to say, listen, let's get out there more. Let's listen more. Let's talk more because ultimately – we get to be transparent. We're a nonprofit. There's nothing wrong with that. And so therefore, if there's any constructive criticism, let's take it. Let's listen, right? And let's see if we can make it better. At the same time, we're asking for more trust than we've ever asked for, but we have to prove to them that we're the right people to do that. So that was part of last week's convention and what I'm realizing that even myself, I can do a better job of my two-way communication. And one of the, you know, and we talked about that when you're here on strategy and my group has said, listen, people need to hear from you. And it's much like, you know, on match day, it's completely consistent that I would write my letter 
you and Richard Fleming would help me with it, but we'd write my message every Saturday or Friday to let people know what's going on and welcome the visiting team. And that's consistent across the UK and, and obviously the programs and such. Well, in our Splash magazine that goes out any time of year, I should have that first letter and I haven't even done that. So there's great opportunities for us to better engage and, and communicate. You were at Rapids from 2010 to 2017. Now, that was a period of time where MLS was growing at an intense rate, massive rate. Big time, what, yeah. Do you consider almost that was an accelerated learning program for, for your current job, commercializing, uh, digital, social media? It, it, it seems to have been an incredible moment to be in MLS, which was in a pretty unique position at the time. Uh, without question, I, I would go back to Derby before that, just because I think moving most of my family to the UK and and having an international experience and just how well we were treated and received, the opportunity to be part of the world's game, part of the traditions I talked about at Derby, I think that was step one. That positioned me to get the job with the Rapids and then become my be a chief exec for the first time ever. And you know, uh, you know, th those were kind of my training wheels a little bit, right? As a, as a senior executive at, at that level, when you finally get that job, being able to recruit people, and then to watch, I kind of describe it as I got there MLS 2.0 and left it 5.0, and now I think it's at 7.0 a couple of years later. You're right, the acceleration was amazing. So to be part of that at a senior level, to be able to engage at the league, and you know, I mean, Commissioner Garber's done an amazing job. Let's be honest. Um, but you know, bringing Gary Stevenson and Mark Abbott, Kathy Carter, the group of executives that helped grow this league, is amazing. So yeah, to watch that, the learning was phenomenal, right? And then for us to localize that at the Rapids, where we started as a six and a half million dollar revenue, uh, you know, uh, enterprise in 2011. To leave it at 19 million a couple of years later was was yeoman's work by all of us, right? But that was trying to ride that that curve of MLS as best we could, as authentically as we could, and I thought we did that. And you know, listen, it's it's a challenging environment. It's fast paced, but I think if you ask anybody in the U.S. today, you know, what are the four big leagues? Was what we used to say. Now they're going to say the five big leagues. And so I think Major League Soccer, like I said earlier in the in the podcast, was kind of a minor league entity when we, maybe we got there, or at least was viewed as such. And now there's no question it's a major league, television coverage, the international stars that are coming in, the markets. Atlanta sells out 70,000 plus every single match. Seattle at 45,000 to 50,000. I mean, it has it is part of the landscape of the United States sports. And that's a credit to any sport that could do that in that short a period. We've just had the Paris Swimming World Championship. It's just been in London. It's been on yep. um, Terrestrial TV here, uh, Channel 4, I think it's been on. What's your strategy there? So we actually don't oversee Paris Swimming in the United States. That is overseen by the United States uh, Olympic and Paralympic Committee. So that's part of them. We are certainly supportive of anything aquatic, but that is not under our remit at USA Swimming. Uh, I am based here. This office is on the Olympic Training Center when you came with your family to see it. You saw that 10 yards from here is our uh, our pool at altitude. We have a state-of-the-art 50-meter pool here at altitude. And there are many paraswimmers that train there, so we see them, and it's fantastic. Uh, obviously, hugely supportive. Uh, it's phenomenal, and we think paraswimming is one of the best uh, Olympic properties uh, in the para, uh, Paralympic Games. Uh, so we're very excited about that. Uh, so we're, we're kind of a supporters on the sidelines. It's not part of our remit. But I think it was fantastic to see those athletes showcased on an international stage on major television networks across the globe. It was televised back here through the Olympic networks of NBC. So I think it's phenomenal. And, and those athletes, I applaud uh, the USOPC 
who just changed their name from the USOC to the USOPC to really make people understand that this is part of who we are. It's not a secondary mission for us that the Paralympic and Paralympic athletes are just as important as any athletes, similar to their pay scales and support they're now getting. So I commend the USOPC for making those priorities happen. Turning to the Olympics, what are your targets? What are your priorities? It's a great question. Uh, it'll be my first in this job. So there's still some learning I need to do to understand how I can best contribute and support our organization. As I mentioned previously, our first thought is on Omaha and the Olympic trials, which will be in June. And what an important major event that is because we operate that event. But, you know, our managing director of our national team, Lindsay Mantenko, she's the first woman to hold that position when we uh, promoted her to that job two years ago. She, she and her team are world class. And, and again, when I go back and talk about the history of USA Swimming, that baton has been handed to incredibly successful people. We have an incredible high performance team, medical team, support staff here. Uh, the USOPC helps with their support staff. So we have a great group of people that have us prepared. One of the key learnings we had last summer when we went to the Pan Amer excuse me, Pan Pacific Championships in Tokyo was that we went right from California International Championships right there to train, and that was too fast, too soon. So we engaged with Singapore Swimming, and we built our training camps in Singapore. And we went there this summer before World Championships in Korea. We'll go there next year before the Olympics, and we'll go there again the year after before World Championships in Fukuoka, Japan. That's a key learning. So we will go and have the best possible training camp get our athletes acclimated to that time zone and that part of the uh, that part of the world and the heat and those type of things and then come right into into Tokyo. I'd say we certainly want to continue to be world class. So we'd like to win the meet. So that'll certainly be our objective is to still be the best best in the world in swimming. I think the second uh, you know opportunity I'd like to see us is medal in the uh, open water uh, opportunities. Our first three af athletes that made our entire United States Olympic team we're open water swimmers this summer because they were selected this summer up at the, out at the world championships in Korea. So we have two women and one man that will be part of that. So I'd love to see us get a medal in that opportunity. So those are kind of our two big goals. Uh, I'll be there for a pretty long time, it sounds like. So I'm looking forward to my time in Tokyo. And how will you leverage any Olympic success? Have you got any plans yet for that or anything specific again i think it's been i think we've been very fortunate that that's kind of always taken care of itself and i think it's a huge lift but i think as i mentioned earlier as well that again now with the crm strategy hopefully we can get on the front foot and find ways to engage current membership uh, families of members and potentially new fans in this olympic year and we'll have the trials in june to lead up to and then go right to Olympics. So really, my expectation is that we find a way to engage more people than we ever have in 2020 and set a new base and a new course for us as we go to Paris and then eventually L.A. 2028. So for us to have our domestic games, we're already thinking about how do we make sure that we're doing the best we can for swimming, knowing that that's a game changer for us in, in nine years. Tim Hinchy, thank you very much. Pleasure. You can find Sports Content Strategy on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Go to sportscontentstrategy.com for more information and to sign up to the newsletter. Richard is at Mr. Richard Clark on all social media. Read his blog at mrrichardclark.com. Sports Content Strategy.